Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, okay we're ready. And yep. books are sexy. Hi. Hi, <laughs> welcome to Bubbles and Books. We are drinking, oh, I should say, I'm Amanda and I like champagne. I'm Ellen, and I also like champagne. Today, we're drinking Argyle from Oregon. It is a dry, spikling wine from Oregon. And it brings to mind a recent release, Argyle. Everybody's talking about it. Bryce Dallas Howard was just on Colbert, I think. We have mixed reviews. It brings to mind the pattern, the socks. Oh, Argyle. Argyle sweaters. Yep. I wore those in high school. You did. I, I vaguely remember like, that. I had did a you have red. Like, knee socks and shit too? I didn't have Argyle knee socks, but like, no, but like I definitely white had. knee socks with your Argyle sweater? You probably did. I think I wore it with a white shirt underneath and jeans. Okay. And maybe Doc Martens. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I I wanted to be Cher. Sort of. Well, I wanted to make out with Paul Rudd. <laughs> I, I always found that a little creepy. It's like making out with like, like someone's dad. Yeah, I mean, dad. if you had a stepbrother, you might not want to make out with him. That's like a, you know, it's like probably okay, but it's a little bit. Okay, here's your glass. Thanks. Pass around the bubbles. Do you want one, Ray Ray? Sure. Well, they weren't technically steps and blades anymore. No, they weren't. They'd never been related in that way. And only by law. And they lived together otherwise. Yeah, but it was still like making out with someone's dad. (laughs) He's such a dad. I mean, I guess I'm married to a dad, but let me see. This is what Hmm. all those people did the Hmm. Oregon Trail for. Yeah, to get to the graves. It's actually pretty good. Kind of mineral. It says it's aged on the yeast disgorged on demand in small batches to preserve vibrancy and freshness. I got that. Vibrancy and freshness. I was telling my kids that we used to play Oregon Trail at school when I was a kid on the computer. And my son goes, you had computers at school when you were a kid? I was like, yeah. And I asked my husband, I was like, did you play Oregon Trail on the computer? He was like, yeah. And Atticus like, wait, is this like the kind of computers that like People have in their basement. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Atticus. <laughs> yeah, and some of those have even gone by the wayside. Those yes. big, chunky square blocks. Yes. The ones that made, like... Yeah, if people played, like, the kind of organ trail that we played now, they'd be like, this is so cool, so retro. Like, we played the OG organ trail. I'm sorry. I want to know if any of our listeners ever played Jill of the Jungle. That was the one I was addicted to. It was a computer game, and it was like this Amazon woman, who, and you had to like get her through the jungle. I love Jill the Jungle. It was my okay. favorite. Mine was Commander Keen. Did you ever play Commander no. Keen? No. Okay. Listeners, did you ever play Commander Keen? Uh, similar to probably Jill the Jungle or like Mario, right? It's just yeah. like, you know, you're jumping around through the worlds and yeah. going through the different levels. And that, coincidentally, that computer was in our basement. What was the first like handheld? Nintendo. My mom would it was not like, let that in our house. We, we had the little like Nintendo. 
Yeah. Uh, no, it's not handheld. It, it was handheld. Was like a Game Boy. Yeah, it was um, a Game Boy, and yeah. I played Lion King on it. Oh my god, it was so cute. Simba had to like eat worms and berries and stuff. But there was one level I could never get past, so that was annoying. Yeah, we did Commander Keen, and then when I got older, there was one I liked called You Don't Know Jack. That was. Oh my god, I totally played You Don't Know Jack. That was yeah. so fun. You Don't Know Jack was the shit. We should that play so that fun. sometime. Okay. We should go in the office sometime and like play it. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Future, future podcast report on Who Knows Jack. We could just play it like on this podcast. Okay, we'll play it at the end. Ellen, what are you reading right now? Okay, well, I'm going to talk about what I finished reading because I started yeah. and finished a book since we last talked, and then I'll tell you what I'm currently reading. Yes. So what I did read was The God of the Woods by Liz Moore. It is out June 11th. Fucking obsessed. Liz Moore wrote a book called Long Bright River several years ago. It's a mystery set in Philadelphia. I loved it. Also obsessed with that one. This one. So when I saw that she was coming out with a new one, I was like, I have to read it. Obviously. So I have the Dirk. Yeah. Picked it up. Could I want not the art. Could not put it down. So it's a completely different setting, completely different story. It takes place in the Adirondacks in 1975. And the setting is this preserve that's owned by this very wealthy New England family called the Van Lars. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they live in the, their summer house is on this hill on the preserve. And it's the the name of the house is called self-reliance, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And then down at the bottom of the hill is a summer camp. Okay. And it serves um, about 150 kids every summer. And they're all kids of like other wealthy New Englanders. And the Van Lars don't really have much to do with it. The first Van Lar who settled there, Peter the First, now we're on like <laughs> Peter the Fourth, okay? Peter the First established the camp. And he was sort of eccentric, and everyone in the surrounding community really liked him. He was like a man of the people. But he had a lot of money. And all his offspring were like, yay, we're rich. We don't have to do We're assholes. Okay, so everyone hates him. Um, so anyway, that's the setting. And now we have 13-year-old Barbara Van Lar. So she lives in the summer home with her parents. Her dad is Peter the Third, and she is she's a nuisance. Like she's she's kind of a troublemaker. She's very hard headed, and so they decide that she's just, she's going to go to camp down at the bottom of the hill for the <laughs> summer. And so uh, the story opens one morning at the end of camp, and she's not in her bunk. She has disappeared. Wow, Barbara Van Lar has disappeared. And so the story is what happened to Barbara Van Lar. And um, the sort of other mystery of this is that before Barbara was ever born, she had a brother who disappeared in the woods at eight years old and was never found. What? Peter the Fourth, Bear Van Lar. And her mother never really recovered from it. Um, and no one knows what happened. There was a local guy who worked on the property that people suspected of being involved, but he died of a heart attack shortly after Bear's disappearance. And so now she's disappeared uh, 14 years later, and there's this question of, are these disappearances related? Wow. Compounding this is during the, at the time that Bear disappeared, there was a known serial killer on the loose in that area. He did not prey on children. So uh, a young boy would not have fit his profile, but he was in the area at that time and he has escaped prison and he is on the loose now, for, like 14 years later. 
So it's like, could it be, could it have been him? Is he back at it again? Is he around? Like what's going on? So the story is told from four women's perspectives, which Uh is really cool. So the first is Tracy. She's Barbara's bunk mate at the camp. And she's sort of like a little bit of an outcast, not very confident, but she really looks up to Barbara, um, loves her confidence and just, she has very much come out of her shell as a result of being Barbara's friend. So Tracy is the first narrator. Alice, Barbara's mother, is the narrator. Okay. Um, Louise, the camp counselor, the first person to discover that Barbara is missing. Okay. Um, and then Judy, who is the only female investigator involved in this case. Love She's it. one of the few female investigators, period, at that time. Right. And so it alternates through their perspectives. And the pacing of the book is, like, brilliant because it's every little chapter is kind of a cliffhanger, you know? So you're like, oh, God damn it. You know, you got to, like, keep going. I cannot wait. And I tell you what, then there's there's all sorts of characters who are good for it. Yeah. You know? I did not know. Like, I had a lot of theories, but I, I did not feel confident. And I it kept me guessing till the very end. And I was comfortable with the end. I was like, okay, I could see that. But I did not know. I could not call it. That's so great. And it was just so good. And she does a great job with, like, characters. And there's lots of exploration here of, like, class, of gender, of all sorts of things. And it's just so fucking good. When you speak this enthusiastically, like, joyfully about a book, I will... I didn't I go to work on Sunday because I was reading it. I was uh-huh. like, I'm not going to go to work today. I'm going to read this book. You were doing important work reading that book. I was. And then, so, because I love Liz Moore, she's one of my favorite mystery writers. I was like, I'm going to read another favorite mystery writer, which is Hannah French. Her new book, The Hunter, I started it. I'm like maybe 75 pages in. So I'm not like super into the thick of it. Mm-hmm. So follow up to her last one, The Searcher. So it's a kind of a new series which follows Cal Hooper. He is an early retired American cop. He's like in his late 40s. He was a cop in Ohio and he retired to rural Ireland after some interesting some 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 things happened. Okay. okay. And in the first book, he gets sort of caught up in this case. He befriends um, a child in the area. He kind of takes her under his wing. And their story is sort of a, c- a continuation in this book. Cool. So Trey is now 15, the girl, and they kind of fix furniture together, and he's a mentor in her life, and she's on a good path, and he's on a good path, and things are fine. Mm-hmm. And then Trey's dad shows up. He's been gone for like four years, and he is a ne'er-do-well. Okay. <laughs> okay? He is a ne'er-do-well. And he's got some fancy idea about digging up gold in the mountains, and he's got some dude he brought along with him. And someone's going to get killed, I think. Okay. Okay. It makes and sense. And Cal is always like, fuck, I don't want to be a cop. Why do you people in Rural Island keep making me be a cop? <laughs> okay. So that's where this is going. I love Tana French. What are you reading? Well, I made a very conscious choice not to finish Same As It Ever Was by Claire Lombardo last night. I am down to the last three or four chapters. I want to read this one too. It is like a 500 page book. I know we looked it up at one point. She writes like really um, densely filled. They are not dense books, but it is filled with so much of the the lives. You take your time with them. You do. And you're just, you are really... You really, as the reader, are given the opportunity to kind of 
overlay your own soul on the main character, Julia Ames. It is unsettling how well Claire puts you through the ringer of self-doubt as a mother, as a wife, um, as a person in the world, um, the shame, the guilt, but also the deep, deep love and yearning for your family members. And it is, you know, a book that spans a woman's teen years or childhood even. I, I call it in my own head, I was thinking about it. It's like a French braid of timelines. It's Ooh. working. There's the the present day that takes you throughout um, where Julia and her husband, Mark, uh, he's just turned 60. She's slightly younger. They have an adult son uh, who's 24, changes in his life, and a teenage daughter who's about to go to college. And so you have the the present day, the, the, the big changes coming about in their life and how Julia's handling it, but it's overlaid with events when the son, Ben, was a young child and she was a new mom and completely lost. Um a friendship that she developed at that time that led to some problematic incidents, her own fucked up childhood with her mother, Julia's mother, who has been missing. And if she's turned up over the years, it's always been to cause pain and destruction. Um, and these timelines weave together in this really interesting backwards and forwards way. And, you just have so much compassion for Julia and her just great desire to love her children and her family and try and be the person she wants to be despite the hurdles that were set up for her by her very problematic childhood. And I just gone through it with her, you know, and I'm down to the end. And I didn't think I could finish that book last night and not maybe be wrecked. Well, you told me you had you feeling feelings. Yeah, it had me. It has me feeling feelings like I Claire's writing for me is so close to home. And it makes me so curious about whether other people really are are having the same heartstrings pulled. I think they are. I think there is a universal. um exploration of emotions and sense of self in what she does with her epic family tales. So anyway, I couldn't finish it, but I will finish it tonight when I'm feeling bolstered up, I guess. Good <laughs> glass of wine, plenty of time to calm down before bed. Um, it is both heartbreaking, but hopeful. So I don't want to paint this as like this horrible, depressing saga. It's not. You're so rooting for the characters and you're so hopeful that all will turn out. I am hopeful. But so last three chapters are coming. But at the same time, I'm listening to one of our favorite authors, Janice Hallett. I read um, the... The Twyford Code. The Twyford and Code. I read The Appeal. Right. And she tells mysteries in very non-traditional ways. Fun. In, fun. It's just like a light, fun mystery. Right. Like bopping around. Yeah. Funny little British mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and you, the way she strings together her story through text messages, WhatsApp messages, emails, documents, she builds her story with these um, non-traditional 
text elements, you're, you're very much like on your toes all the time, guessing along with the person who's trying to uncover the crime. In this case, um, the main character is Amanda Bailey, and she has been hired to look into a cult gone wrong 20 years prior um, in London. They were called the Alperton Angels. They had a charismatic culty leader, Gabriel, who had convinced, the story goes, several men to be, uh, that they were all archangels here on Earth with a destiny that when all the planets and the moon aligned, which they called the assembly, they were supposed to be responsible for putting to death, like, the devil. Like, this child that was going to be born that they needed to kill to save all humanity from destruction. Um, Seems reasonable. Yes, and they also brought in two teenagers, but the circumstances are very murky, and there was a baby, and it's now 18 years later, and this baby, uh, you know, they're prompted to reflect on the fact, we know that this baby survived this cult murder where many of the archangels ended up dead and the teenagers disappeared and the baby went God knows where. And uh, the a publisher has brought in Amanda Bailey, um, a true crime writer, think that she's the one to do the job, to go back and kind of uncover the details of this mystery and put together a retelling, shed new light on this incident that captivated so many people. And as she starts digging, things get dangerous and scary. And I love a good cult story. Yeah, it is definitely a cult story, but it's also a cover up story and things are not what they seem. Well, and so, I don't know if she does it in this one, but what I liked in the appeal is that because it's told through exchanges right. from characters is that it's you have to suss out as the reader who's telling the truth and who's yep. not because what's being withheld as, as people are be communicating with each other yeah who's withholding what right and you have maybe different people who are describing the same incident in different ways right. to different people and it's like oh who's telling the truth right and which version is correct yeah you're kept guessing to the very end similar to Liz Moore but different it's a different that. way of piecing it together as the reader right and I don't know where I don't know where we're culminating I'm close to the end I would say I'm probably 80 percent through it is it is Fine. rising to its peak and I'm gonna I'm gonna find out pretty soon so as I drive around town and get to work and back this is what I've been listening to and it's actually surprisingly even though it involves a lot of text messages and whatsapp messages with emojis and stuff it <laughs> it's been acted very well for audiobook cool. it in no way has been a deterrent if anything it really sheds a lot of character um, qualities on you know the named characters in this book like well, that's I get personality know. It's a great audiobook. Plug okay, for Libro FM, FYI. If you listen to yeah. audiobooks, you should be listening through Libro FM, not Audible, because Audible sucks. Yes, it is not supporting anyone but Jeff Bezos, bottom line. Um, and if you subscribe to Libro FM, you don't lose your Audible library, but um, you start paying a subscription with Libro FM and your dollars come to Dogyard Books and your audiobook purchases support what we do here in Ames. So make the switch to Libro FM. Okay, so to sum up, we're reading great books. Yeah. Just a reminder, The God of the Woods by Liz Moore out June 11th. The Hunter by Tana French out in March. Don't remember the date, but it's a Tuesday in March. 
Same as it ever was by Clara Lombardo. Out in June. Yep. End of June. And listening, you were listening to The Mysterious Case of the Alberton Angels by Janice Hillett, which is out, out right now. now. Yep. In hardcover and in audiobook. So cool beans. Pick a good one for yourself. Oh my gosh. What a strong reading time right now that we are in. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Love it. Love it. I love the feeling of looking forward to finishing a book and what will I pick up next? I like it when I have to yell at my kids, like, shut the fuck up, I'm reading. Yeah. I think I'm probably going to pick up The God of the Woods based on your recommendation. But I need to find the physical advanced reading copy. Somebody has it. It might be Amy because I texted. So Amy loved Long Bright River. We bonded over that book. And when I was reading The God of the Woods, I just texted her all caps, Amy, (laughs) you have to read this book. It I is will send a group balls. text to all the booksellers and say, who took it? It's probably Amy and let her read it because she loves Liz more. Okay, but if she's not reading it right now, I can read it and then, you know, then she can have her turn. So read, who's reading it read now? Read the Dirk. I don't like digital reading. <sighs> okay, I have a game for us this week. Okay, I'm so excited because your games are always the most fun. Okay. This game is called Bad Reviews of Good Books. Okay, this sounds really interesting. Okay, here are the directions. Very simple. Okay. Rachel, you you can participate. I'll do my best. I'm going to read the negative review of a book that we believe is good. These are real reviews sourced primarily from Amazon and Goodreads. Nice. Then you're going to guess the book. And then we're going to make fun of the person who wrote the review. I think that sounds very fair because when I was telling my daughter that she should read Lessons in Chemistry, she pulled up bad reviews of Lessons in Chemistry. And I was like, these people are full of shit. Okay, well, here we go. I will say this is going to be interesting because you never know what you're going to get on a Goodreads review. No, there's crazy people. There is a very well-known book talker who wrote one of the most disgusting reviews I've ever read in my life. Me and Tavi sat in the office thinking, what the hell did we just read? So I feel like you never know what you're going to get with these reviews. Let's find out. Okay. This is from Texas Girl. Not to be dramatic, because I read at least five books per month. Pat this yourself is, on the back, girl. This is the worst book I have ever read since I started reading in kindergarten. <laughs> Unless, of course, you like man-hating, arrogant, pretentious, godless, know-it-all lead characters unrealistic storylines about a four-year-old who can have adult conversations, a talking dog, and every male character being a misogynistic Oh, I know what this is. Speaking of which, keep going. This book was also insanely boring. Every three pages, I would look to the end of the book to see when it was over. I'm not sure why I never stopped reading. I just kept hoping it was going to get better. Every page was brittle. Lessons in chemistry. It was lessons in chemistry. Speaking of, these are the people. They're criminals. <laughs> Not to be dramatic. Okay, just so you know, I there love are your voice for the person. That's like that's what's making the review. I'll tell you why it sucks because guess what? Misogyny does exist, and you probably know if you're from Texas. It's not godless. They're actually Listen, trying to prove. This bitch has read five books a month since kindergarten. Okay, that's a lot of books, Amanda. 
Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Allegedly. I disagree. Let's not be dramatic. Allegedly. Let's not Allegedly. be dramatic. Um, the dog doesn't actually talk. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, bitch, you didn't read this book. Okay, that dog that's 100% what just threw me. I, would, I was like, I have it's no clue. It's told from the perspective of 630, the dog, the internal monologue, you know, or dialogue Texas of the dog. This girl looks like you didn't read it very carefully. No, you the dog did not speak out loud. looking ahead to see when the end of the book would be. And four-year-olds, are you not... Like, obviously not a parent. A four-year-old can have adult conversations. Well, this reviewer didn't start reading till kindergarten, so... She me, might not have been. Me think <laughs> someone's a little jelly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> if I recall correctly, I was dating a ginger and wanted to understand that whole redhead outsider cultural thing. I thought perhaps I might give this to her as a gift. I thought surely I'd finish this classic example of early young adult fiction, question mark. But it was too far afield from my reading style and era preferences. I couldn't wrap my hand my head around the logic of the time period. So the plot seemed forced. Is this fucking Anna Green Gables? <laughs> oh, duh. It is. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? First of all, like... You're a tool. <laughs> Second of all, I found the best review, but I didn't read it because it was obviously would give it away. But you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is the best worst review? Yeah, this is okay. the best worst review. Anne Shirley is one of the most annoying protagonists of literature. She just talks and talks, not shutting her mouth, not even once. Speaking she hates of misogyny. Gilbert for no reason. Carrots is actually a pretty cute nickname, and he only treats her well. She keeps saying that her name is Anne with an E when no one actually gives a fuck. She's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> By the way, her friendship with Diana is totally gay, and that's the best part of this boring book. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Definitely. Who's who's the handle on that one? Oh, Laura. Laura. Oh. The first one was love of hopeless causes. <laughs> Obviously, you don't love hopeless causes. <laughs> well, I mean, he was trying to connect with his redheaded girlfriend. Yeah. Um, reading this cultural, but it wasn't his era preferences. What, what, what are your era preferences? I assume <laughs> you can't read literature written prior to like 1990. I like that it was like... Um, this classic example of early young adult fiction, question mark. <laughs> what? Yeah, that threw me. Uh, that threw me for a little bit, but. He wasn't sure. He, it could have been a real story. It is not nonfiction. All right, you ready for the next one? Yeah. <clears throat> this is from Maven. I learned about this book from the Costco Connection magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck you, Maven. I learned about this book from the Costco Connection magazine and that it was set in the cherry capital of the country, Traverse City, Michigan. Because I was born in Michigan, grew up there, and went to college there. I have family in cherry country, too. I thought the book was going to be about how the cherry farm would pass on to the next generation. (laughs) What a disappointment! Most of the book was about the mother's past attempt at being an actress and being obsessed with our town and telling and retelling the story to her three adult daughters. This is exactly the point of the book. For one thing, I can't imagine the three adult daughters would be that interested in the excruciating details of their mother's flings during her summer stock experience. Seriously? Wouldn't they have heard this story several times already growing up? Totally unrealistic. 
After I was about one-third into the book, I just skipped past all the boring actor's narrative and read the parts about the cherry farm. Also, Michigan is a lot colder than how it was described. (laughs) So, (laughs) to sum it up, boring writing, false advertising, and unrealistic characters and setting. Um, it is about the future wow. of the cherry farm. That's, the, that's a very opinionated review okay, on Tom, Tom Lake. Yeah. Tom Lake by Ann Thatchett. Costco magazine I mean, the one. false advertising. Okay. The very point of the book is that <laughs> mothers have stories worth listening to that get overlooked and unseen as young, egotistical children like Maven. Maven's sitting there no, reading the book. No, I'm gonna say Maven like, sounds like a mom who's told her children her stories a million times no, over, I and they just, don't give a fuck. No, I, I think can, Maven. I can just imagine Maven sitting there in her lazy boy, being like, "Michigan is a lot colder yeah. than this, Chuck." And also, that's not the point of the book. And it was about the transition <laughs> of the cherry farm. False advertising. Because it transitioned to the mother and the man she chose to marry because of what happened at the Tom Lake Theater. That chose They chose a different life for themselves. And that's how the cherry farm continued. And the life they built on that farm with those daughters takes it into the future. So, well, so much oblivious devilness. Devil's advocate. Totally missing the point of the entire you know, book. When maybe Maven just wanted to go to Costco and keep it simple. Maybe she just was like, oh, cherries, a book about cherries. Yeah, obviously. <sighs> Joy. Joyful. <clears throat> I read a book when I was a kid. It was something like The Cherry Robber's Tree. It was like a mystery about <clears throat> a kid in a cherry tree that oversaw something bad happen. And I did like a diorama book report on it. I'm going to look it up. Yep, the view from the cherry tree. Um, that was a mystery about being in a cherry tree. Does it take place in Michigan? I don't know. Is it about a farm? Probably. Because you could give, maybe Maven could read this. That's book. what I'm thinking. Like, she just needed more happening in the tree. This is for 9 to 12 year olds. It might be more appropriate and for And maybe her. whoever is writing book reviews in Costco magazine can be a little bit more thoughtful. Yeah. About how they portray the books they're reviewing. Right. Because God forbid that Maven would have to read about characters in their lives. Yeah. And God forbid anyone should care about a mother's story. Yeah, fuck that. She would definitely not like Claire Lombardo's new book because, you know, a mother isn't allowed in an interior life (laughs) and a history that has shaped her current personality. All right, you ready for the next one? Yeah, let's go. This is from Stephanie. You are entitled to financial compensation if you have been victimized by yet another pretty cover and intriguing premise failed by shoddy execution. You deserve treble damages for struggling through this slog fest of convoluted and boring storytelling. I definitely deserve a little treat for my suffering. Neither this book nor the book within the book make any sense. I strongly dislike the words used and how. (laughs) I am baffled that this book has been described as humorous. Excuse me, what? Where? (laughs) When? How? I also find it hard to believe that the book within the book is a bestseller. On what list? Has there only been one book published and circulated to the buying public in this world? Was it bundled with the purchase of every electronic reading device and impossible to delete? Whatever the case, no thank you. I would rather be illiterate 
Stephanie needs to go fucking home because this is American Mermaid. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Which is so slap. Because in, Fuck my, out, in my mind, I'm thinking, who, which author was it? Oh, it's Julia Langbean that said you two should be voice actors. And meanwhile, you're reading that. I'm thinking Ellen could really be a voice actor she right could. now. My, and my I'm favorite, like, oh my God, it's American freaking Mermaid. My favorite line in it is... I strongly dislike the words used and, and how. how. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually beautiful writing in itself. I'm not Good job, lie. Stephanie. <laughs> Inaccurate. Stephanie, you're funny as fuck. I would think you would have enjoyed this. Yeah, like your review could be your included. Review. Yeah, could be included in a future piece of fiction. Julia, as a plot point, you use, this, use this, Julia. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Excuse me, words what? Now. She was drawn in. She was drawn in by the cover. Treble that pretty dances. coastal California mermaid tale had her thinking she was getting a fairy tale. Little soft women's fiction. Oh, Stephanie. You missed Calm out. Calm down, Stephanie. Calm right down. Okay. <clears throat> What do you got for us? Danny writes, I found this book simply unbearable. The only reason I finished was so I could feel justified leaving this review. The main character, God, she was the worst. I truly don't understand how most of these reviews are positive and enjoy her as a narrator. She was a self-righteous astrologist vegetarian who was convinced that anyone who hunted or consumed meat was the devil. The references to the planets being in place and stars doing whatever were just as irritating as her constant disparagement of hunting. Yes, I understand that the hunters in her town could be cruel, but she was so self-righteous in her beliefs about animals and humans being the exact same. I couldn't stand it. Imagine an astrology-loving PETA member wrote a book and then inserted a slightly more annoying version of themselves as the narrator, and you'd get this book. Ugh. No. That being said, the writing itself was well done. Drive your plow over the bones <laughs> of the dead. Yeah. I love the astrology! <laughs> I and like that it's like this ranting and then in the parentheses at the end. That being said, the writing was good. Yeah, the writing was good. <laughs> Apparently he has just... An idea of who he needs his characters to be. <laughs> Write your own books. <sighs> Imagine an astrology-loving PETA member making themselves a little more annoying and putting them in, there in the Perfect. Book. Just not as they are, just like a little more annoying. Perfect. Right, sign me up. Sign me up. It was I amazing. It was a great book. It was such a great book. Janina was a shit. Yeah. I love that you can remember her name. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Janina. Yeah. That astrology loving PETA you know person. What? They had it coming to them. Yeah, they did. They're immoral hunters. Okay, so there are 10 bad reviews. We are now on review number six. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Penny Pincher says The mistake I made was thinking I knew what I saw on the cover, the title, and a girl whose dress has blown up exposing her panties. Oh, I saw what I believed 
to be the skirt of a dress that the wind had blown up a la Marilyn Monroe, not blown up as in exploding into flames. Therefore, I was in no way expecting the completely implausible storyline. Not that there is anything wrong with outrageous fiction. It just isn't my thing. The synopsis begins with a moving and uproarious novel about a woman who finds meaning in her life when she begins caring for two children with a remarkable ability. <gasps> yeah, I do not go, find the story to be moving or funny. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and the remarkable ability of these children is probably among the dumbest premises I've encountered in a book. I am unhappy about being misled. I do not read fantasy novels, and had this one been listed as such, it's not fantasy. I would not have made the purchase. As bad as the premise of the book is, the ending, or lack of, is possibly even worse. Finally, as others have mentioned, the extensive use of foul language is something of a turnoff. For <laughs> She's me. not listening to this podcast, let me tell you. That is nothing to see here by Kevin Wilson. <laughs> This. I love that she's like, I thought it was about someone's dress and seeing their panties. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted a little peek show. I was misled. That's what the next game should be. Describe the cover and what you think the book might be about. Like show a cover and like, mm, this one is about I am this. unhappy about being misled. Um, so I can understand if this was not someone's cup of tea. You have to appreciate intentionally absurd and funny books. Yeah, but that's stupid. Like. That's a stupid interpretation. Yeah, it is so stupid. You're a moron. And it's not fantasy. It's just absurd. Like. I was misled. For reference, you know this is one of our favorite. They need to hang out. Yeah, because they, they can't. Both, they only they need litter. They are victims of false advertising. Yeah. We love that book so much. Okay, we ready? Yeah, we're ready. Let's go. All right. Ruby Batchelor writes, Just another example of ridiculous detective chicklet. I hate it when contemporary female authors pad their tales with ridiculously pointless descriptions of food that have absolutely nothing to do with the plot. Fuck you. (laughs) If If she included one more... He wiped the flaky croissant crumbs from his shirt. Oh my god! She I hate took you. another bite of Caesar salad as he popped a deviled egg in his mouth, or he left a thermos of cafe au lait <laughs> and a warm croissant eggs. in a bag. I think I'd have been ill. Funny how Harper Lee didn't feel compelled to tell us just how sweet and viscous the syrup was when Walter Cunningham covered his meal with it in To Kill a Mockingbird, because those qualities of the syrup were completely beside the point. That said, if you're on a plane or stuck at the beach with nothing else to read, okay, but only if you have nothing else to read. This person is insulting (laughs) one of the most exalted mystery writers of all time, Louise Penny. If this person walked in our store, I would just gently turn them around and pat their butt on the way out with a book. Just like, go, just go, 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 leave. He was just packed. Yep, with a book, not with my hand. With a Louise Penny book? Louise, the latest hardcover, which is coming out in the fall. I would just say, excuse me, goodbye. That's what makes it. You know what? This kind of person, Ruby Bachelor, just wants a woman locked up in a basement. Yeah. A man talking about another woman who has been sexually assaulted and held in a basement. Ruby Bachelor 
Red to Kill Mockingbird, though. Yeah, well, as a child, probably. <laughs> as we all did. I... I think this person has no appreciation for culture, probably eats <laughs> only fast food for their meals, and does not appreciate homemade, excellent cuisine. And Me seeing at it a reference. Three Pines Cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what takes me thinks, these mysteries to me the next level. Ruby Bachelor doesn't have a nice little cafe in her no, town. And no. she is feeling a little bit resentful of that. Jealous. Jealous. Doesn't have nice flaky croissants. Only has the ones that come out of the vending machine are all She's smushy. She's like that one lady who's mad that she only learned to read in kindergarten. Yeah. Jealous people. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Dex Barr writes, The author evidently prides himself on the cleverness of the big plot twist and reveals it constitute the titular enigma. And this is like McDonald's priding itself on the quality of its filet mignon. When the big reveals finally come, after interminable exposure to utterly flat characters talking at each other about loads of boring nothingness, the reveals were so utterly lazy and irredeemably stupid that I couldn't actually believe any working writer would imagine he could get away with them. Mm, this is a hard one. So a male writer who offers twists. Is it Benjamin Stevenson? No. Um, you have a hint for us? It came out within the last couple of years. Is it on this wall? No. Um, it's not the Enigma of Room 62. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, he used the word enigma. He's he not did. very creative. Like, he just had to steal. That's like plagiarism. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, the author of The Her the Truth About the Harry, Joel Dicker. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was so fun and quirky, and the characters are intentionally ridiculous. Well, that's what, that's the commentary that he's Dexmar, offering. are utterly lazy and irredeemably stupid. <laughs> I mean, there are some irredeemably stupid characters, Your intentionally face is irredeemably so. Stupid, yeah. Bar. You have no appreciation for character development. <laughs> you just pretty these people really like their straight books straightforward. You know, <laughs> they can't handle any subtlety. No depth or nuance. No depth or nuance. <laughs> I was expecting panties. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the peep show? All right. <clears throat> Nirja writes, D-N-F-ing. What an immensely tedious book. If it weren't for the horrible sister who's a bratty ass, the youngest, I hate her so much. Is there a hate club? I would join it. I don't get how she can destroy her sister's manuscript just because she isn't <gasps> invited to some event and then all is forgiven it. and then she marries the main dude that the sister's supposed to be having a thing with. What the fuck? It's the god-awful preaching you have to read through like it's a sermon book. Hello? But every dang story need not be moralistic. This is like Aesop's fables but with a family of bland girls instead of cool animals <laughs> and it's relentless, boring, and endless. 
Obviously has no appreciation for classic literature. This is <laughs> Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. I mean, it is intentionally moralistic. It was the writing of the time. She Amy, was me, I think, is one of the best comeback characters personally. Yes, she is. <laughs> and yes. I, I think it's a fam- it's Ace of Fables, but I know. Cool, with a family of bland girls instead of cool animals. <laughs> And I mean, Amy is not bland. I mean, little <laughs> spicy tart threw her sister's manuscript in the fire and yeah. then stole. Yo-ho. You stole. <laughs> stole the potential love of her life. So you wouldn't join the hate club? No. Okay. I'm, I want to I wanna know more about these people. That's what it mostly leads she me to. She DNF'd like, it too. I mean, she didn't finish it. Yeah, so she doesn't even so, know. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. No, you okay? don't know how it comes around. Just watch Greta Gerwig's version of it, and then mm-hmm. refall in love with yep. the story, and mm-hmm. then pick up the book. Mm-hmm. Sometimes okay. a film version can lead you to the broader, yeah, appreciation and a broader, deeper story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely how I discovered Anna Green Gables was watching the PBS miniseries mm-hmm. first, and I just wanted more, yeah. and I got more. <laughs> I will say your love of Amy does not translate as much from the was a 90s version than Winona Ryder one. Yeah. Your love of Amy definitely grows in the new one, though. Okay. Yeah. You have greater appreciation for her. She's less a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can okay. still acknowledge the bitchiness of it as a youngest sibling. Yeah. I know how bitchy we can be. Yeah. And how spiteful, but it's appreciated. <laughs> okay. Give us another idiot, hey, Ellen. This is the last one. Olivia. I don't understand why this book is so popular on TikTok or recommended for young adults. Felt like the author had no vocabulary besides the F word. If you're into book porn, this is the one for you. It is extremely descriptive and quite frankly, trashy. I loved the characters and the concept of the story, could have gone without the sexual innuendos the whole book. This book would have had a huge audience if she would have written the book with some class. The thought of the story was amazing. So sad it was ruined by immature writing. Is this fourth wing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would have had a huge audience. <laughs> That's the funniest part. <laughs> you fucked it up, Rebecca. Uh, I think if Rebecca you only had some fucking class, Rebecca. <laughs> you could have had it. You, you could have had, had a, good, a winner. You could have had it all. But said you had to put all those sexual innuendos in there, and then now nobody will read your book. No, no, it's just Olivia a total fail. <laughs> this is so great. There's, I like. Okay. Yeah, there's some there's some micro truths in there, but you know what? It's been enjoyed by millions for a reason, and Rebecca did just fine. <laughs> she continues to do just fine. Without Olivia. And maybe it's... <laughs> well, she did fine with Olivia, because Olivia read the book. Yeah. <laughs> maybe she just needs to simmer on it for a while. Yeah, that was excellent, Ellen. Great research. Okay, that was the game. Maybe we'll bring it back another time. Love it. Um, if listeners, if you find a bad review of a good book, you should post it. Yeah, please it's do. It's really funny to make fun of people who like, let's just be honest. Some people like have way too much time on their hands. These, right. These people, not like legit constructive criticism, but people who are just like, come on. Yes. What are you doing? I also think that amount of time someone is willing to spend like 
ripping a book apart well, that someone is obviously else's art. You know? Yeah, right. So just like don't review it. Exactly. Like if I focus like, on if the I don't positive. Like a book, I wouldn't go on and trash it. Yeah. I just wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Don't review it or give it your one star review and move on. Okay. I don't think trash, when it comes. Just don't tra- there's a difference between trashing something and leaving like a actual like well thought out review. For sure. And there are places sure. where <laughs> negative reviews are helpful and where they're not. Authors don't owe us anything. They, they have created no. They've created their work of art, and we can like it or love it. And so, I think, like for instance, the very few circumstances in which I think a bad review can be warranted is where I am owed something as a consumer or someone engaging in a particular experience that I am um, not. I am more actively engaging with the provider of a service, like at a restaurant um, or, um, you know, we we take our negative reviews seriously, the few that we have ever gotten, because we care very much. Um, so when I've had a negative experience, I have learned uh, it is best to give people an opportunity to address your negative experience in a one-to-one setting, you know, through an email, a phone call, or a face-to-face. And then if the person doesn't give a shit, then, you know, maybe that's something to share with people to, you know, save them from a negative experience. But that's not what reading is. Reading is picking up someone's work of art and having an experience. And like I said, an author doesn't owe you anything. So yeah, it's not your jam. It's not your jam. Just go Maven. home. Move on. Find the book that you can rave about. All right. We have a couple books popping this week that are really hot. Popping. You um, spoke most recently with one of our booksellers, Jess, who has read the first on our list of popping books. Why don't you tell us about Krista Hanna's new debut okay. this week? <clears throat> so it's The Women by Kristen Hanna. So Kristen Hanna is kind of a masterful storyteller of, I mean, she writes a lot of things, but I think she's, her best-selling books have been historical fiction. So notably, The Nightingale, which is World War II, and The Four Winds, which was the Great Depression era. And her latest, Out Today, takes place in mid-1960s Vietnam War era. And the protagonist is Frankie. She's a 20-year-old nursing student. She's living in California. She's got a brother. She's got a like very, her parents are very sort of like conservative, straight-laced people. Brother goes off to fight in Vietnam, and she decides that she's going to like follow along. She's 20 years old. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. She's kind of impulsive. And so she joins the Army Nurse Corps, and she goes over there as a nurse. And she learns very quickly the reality of being in a war. And so the book spans a long period of time. And like Kristen Hanna does, she does not write short books. So she's taking... She's talking a lot about a lot of different issues in this. But when Frankie comes home, she has to reckon with all the fallout, right? This specific conflict with all the political ramifications of the Vietnam War, right? You can come home to a country that's very divided about even being in this conflict in the first place. She's got probably PTSD. She's seen a bunch of horrific things. And also, she's a woman over there, and her contributions are rendered completely invisible. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, she's not an American hero, you know. No one cares about her service or what she's going through. So she comes back and, you know, 20 years old is still a kid. And so it's kind of a coming-of-age story, like a forced coming-of-age. You have to grow up. You're in a war zone. So it's an exploration of the fallout of a war and the aftermath of a war and the people who were involved in it. But also, like, how oftentimes the people who go fight in a war are young people, right? 
a lot of times not by choice or by choice when they're not old enough to fully comprehend what it is they're about to do. And when they come back, they do not have the resources, the wherewithal, or the support to function. Yeah, it was and is a common experience coming back from war. And to deal with the things that they had to go through. And so as women and other marginalized groups that have served in combat, they have to carry this. And so it's kind of this part of history, the women who served in Vietnam, a little known part of history that we never really talk about. Jess loved it, and she chose it as her staff pick in February. And she said that she felt Kristen Hand did a good job of striking this balance of honoring the service of the main character, Frankie, as a veteran, but also sort of balancing the atrocities that happened here and also the Americans overseas in Vietnam, like the things that we did over there. Yeah. So she felt like she walked that balance very well and that she didn't shy away from the trauma that the main character experienced and felt for years after the war. And Jess said, now this is a quote, devastating and necessary, what a remarkable tribute to the women who were forgotten. This is historical fiction at its finest. This is a story that will sit with me a good long while, dare I say forever, especially knowing that this could mirror so many lives personally affected by war. Yeah, I mean, she is just an epic writer. There's not a book she's written that isn't well-researched, deeply felt. You know, this is a TBR for sure for me. Yeah, I've not read it yet, but I like Kristen Hanna, and I've I've always enjoyed her work. She dives really deep. Yeah, she's uh, masterful and like has this deep heart and respect for humanity. And we thought we saw her on Bainbridge Island when we were in Seattle. Like <laughs> you, I saw her. You I looked up her picture. <laughs> I looked not. up her picture. I think it's still real. I should have gone out and been like, "Are you Kristen Hanna?" She was walking her dog. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know it looked like her. But we respect you, Kristen. You chose to live on an island, and we respect you. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to give you the autonomy you're seeking for, so I didn't track you down. All right? Okay. Okay, next. Bride by Allie Hazelwood. Would you? What do you know about this one, Alan? It's vampires and werewolves, bitches. Yeah, I mean, this is paranormal romance is where it's at. And the main character is misery, and we're just going to pause and have a conversation about this because what the fuck? Why would you name your kid Misery? It's a point of the book. (laughs) Okay, well, I haven't read the book, so I just want to know, Rachel, why did they name their kid Misery? Well, Oh, look, my beautiful baby. Misery. Name her Misery. We shall call her Misery. I mean, like, so it's like a small point of the book, but not like a spoiler necessarily, but it's a point of the book, and I don't know if I want to tell you. Okay, so we won't do it. But apparently her brother has a normal name. She got, like, the shit. Yeah. Well, her dad sucks. And, yeah. It's just stupid. Well, you know, I hate it when your dad's an evil vampire and he names you Misery. That's really annoying. But werewolves, vampires, and humans are all in different factions in the U.S., like, in this book. So you know how, like, the U.S. likes to other people, but you go to Europe and they're all hunky-dory living over there together. So in this, so, okay, so we're just fucking up here as per usual. Yeah, because there's territories. Okay, okay. So Misery's dad is a very powerful dude, vampire politician, and the mortal enemies of vampires in the U.S. are werewolves. And they're trying to, like, get this truce lined up, and her dad's like, listen, Misery, you gotta take one for the team. You gotta marry the alpha werewolf. He's this guy named Lau Moreland. And she's like, fine. It's Low. Low Moreland. And she's like, fine. Because her BFF went missing, and it has something to do with the werewolves. So this is her opportunity to, like, utilize the abuse of her role in this yeah. world mm-hmm. yeah, if to I get mar- what she wants. If I marry this guy, I can figure out what happened to my BFF. And so the really annoying thing is that Lo is hot and they fall in love and there's sex. So this is a little bit of a departure for Allie Hazelwood. And that name is a pen name. Did you know that? 
She is an Italian neuroscience professor. Yeah, totally blows my mind. I had no idea she was Italian. I didn't know the part. I knew she had a background in science, but I figured she was just like, I don't know. Right. And she's cranking out the books because her first book, The Love Hypothesis, which was Star Wars fanfic, came out in 2021. And she's had like three books, I think, since then. She helped us launch our store, basically. Yeah, she did. She's had Love on the Brain, Love Theoretically, Check and May, and now Bride. And she's, she thinks she's got at least one more coming out. Her novella series as well. Yeah, so she's been cranking them out since 2021, and this is the first one into the paranormal realm, So, because they've been like straight up rom-com so far. She's got huge readership in our store. We've had her as a between-the-covers pick for our romance book club. So as these rom-coms have been super popular in our store, people are getting a little spicy. We're getting into this like monster werewolf alien shit now. Yeah, everyone is raving about Fake Mate, like apparently this is going to be your first audiobook. Yeah, I mean, it's getting weird. I mean, I've heard some things about multiple penises at one time on one person. Okay, but Bright isn't like Ice Planet, Planet Barbarians. It does have, like, interesting sexy bits to the plot, but... Ice Planet totally Bar- Barbarians sells well, though. Yeah, glitter semen? Is I don't, that where it came from? No, I don't know, but there's multiple peens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... What's fun about this one is, well, first of all, it's Vampire with a Y. You're right. It's Vampire with a Y. My bad. So that makes it really more interesting that way, obviously. Yeah. Highbrow with that alternative spelling. Right. So you've read it. So tell us about it. Because Ali Hazelwood is the rom-com author. I mean, she's up there with like Tessa Bailey, Denise Williams in terms of following at her store. Like she puts out a book and people are going to buy it. We're going to need to keep a lot of this one on hand. Like we have signed copies right now. Get them while you can. What is it about Allie Hazelwood and this book specifically that you feel, Rachel, we have to talk about? Well, okay, so previously it's she did a lot of her like feminist fiction writing for the rom-coms. And we don't always get a lot of that science brain. And it makes you... Yeah, it makes you hot to be smart. Right? Like, I'm not a science person. I did not go into that field. But it makes you feel as a woman like, oh shit, yeah, we're there. We also exist in these spaces. And for me, that's what I love the most. Because with some of Valley's books, you know, you kind of know what you're going to expect when you go into them. Like a lot of rom-coms. But that still made it special by writing about a field that isn't always written about women in romance. And I really enjoyed that. But at this point, it's a book you're going to pick up, like with all of her books. You're going to pick it up because it's an, she's an auto-buy. You know her name. You know her books. That's why you're picking one up. But it's entirely different. And a lot of people, like my friend group, grew up hooked on Me too. Twilight. And back in the day. I wasn't growing up. I was a new yeah. mom. <laughs> but so they're already sold on the fantasy aspect of it. Like, you're you're good. You're done. You're wanting it. And then you still get a bit of, like, Allie's science mind here and there. So it's not as in-depth, but you're getting a hot character and the broodiness, she loves to write a broody character, and it's just fantastic. We'll see. The sexy bits are a little weird, and I think about it, and I'm like, uh, what? Like, <laughs> every, and every time a coworker has like read it, I'm like, okay, so what did you think? I need to know more. So, but so she's like a musical artist, like branching out, right? Yeah, like Taylor Swift going from country to pop. Yeah, you stay in your lane for a little while. You develop your fan base. They trust you. And then you get to experiment. And then you start advocating for Biden to become president. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate that as like a reader, because honestly, I know going into them that I know what I'm going to get what I want. Yeah, because you trust her. Yeah, but I love having a different variety. Like I want to switch up my ice cream flavor every so often. Okay, so here's a question. Yeah. Is Bride Twilight fanfic yes or no? Explain. No, 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 no. 
Twilight, it's like that classic dependent on one woman or one person who has a power imbalance. And these characters, they have equal power, but like also they don't. It, it kind of varies. That's a little bit of the plot. Um, and it's werewolves and vampires boning. And in Twilight, they're not boning. Right, right, right. Yeah, because it's conservative. <laughs> She's Mormon. Is she Mormon? She is Mormon. Yeah. But I mean, you can't like, have sex before marriage. There's still a moment in like the marriage part of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but okay, but for this one, like they're still enemies. It's different with how the three factions are set up with the werewolves, humans, and vampires. Um, and misery has basically been a pawn her whole entire life. She's never she's never got to have the autonomy over her life. And once again, it's happening to her and she's being forced into the marriage, which is the plot-ish. But then she's like, I'll do it because I have this ulterior motive. She's like, if I'm forced to do this, I've got this other thing I'm going to accomplish. And she's like, no, I'm not doing this for you or you or you or for the greater good. I'm going to do something for me and like her best friend. But no one knows that she's doing it. Well, she's at least trying to be sneaky. And then she also is her at her core. And so she does do things to help others, too. It's just like. Uh, Mer- Mer- Mercury Misery is one of the best characters. She's not perfect. She's got emo- emotional blockades. And- yeah. It sounds like people need to stop by our store like right now to get their copies right for Valentine's. Read it before Valentine's to feel the paranormal werewolf love. <laughs> Have your partner in your body. And afterwards. to read about vampires and werewolves phoning. And with that, keep the champagne, champagne flowing, flowing and the books going. going. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow. Because you want to find out what's happening in dog-eared books every single week. Yeah. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at at dog-eared books Ames or at dog-eared books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. <laughs>